0: So I want to turn in our series we've been going through now to the book of Mark. Last week we looked at Matthew, and so we saw that in the book of Matthew we see written primarily to the Jews, but Jesus is presented as the King of Israel, the Son of David, and the Messiah that was fulfilled, uh, fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. As we turn to the book of Mark, Mark is probably the first book, uh, first gospel that was written. And it is also the shortest gospel. And in my opinion, it is probably the most overlooked of the gospels. When we study the gospels, we think of Matthew, it's the first one. John, it's uh, many times a favorite one. Luke has lots of things that aren't in some of the other Gospels. And Mark just kind of gets passed over sometimes. The When we look at Mark, 95 to 98% of Mark is also in either Matthew or Luke. So there's almost nothing that is unique to Mark itself. But Mark is written as a fast-moving biography. It's an account of Jesus' life. Matthew records the teachings of Jesus and the, many of the parables. Luke also records a lot of that. John records a lot of the sermons of Jesus. But Mark is the biographer. Mark is recording in fast action. The events of Jesus' life. Mark was most likely written by who we know later on in the New Testament as John Mark. And uh, he was the nephew of Barnabas. And most likely there's a very, this is one of the unique parts of the book of Mark in the story of the uh, Gethsemane and Jesus' betrayal. Mark records that there was a young man there at Gethsemane that when they took Jesus, he was, had a sheet around him and he fled and they grabbed a hold of the sheet and he left the sheet and kept fleeing. And many times we read that account and you say, why is this account significant? Why is it there? Most likely it was Mark. And he was relating an experience that happened to him and showing that he also was an observer in some of these events. Now, it's likely, when we look at Mark and compare it to, say, Matthew, Matthew is always recording a lot of the uh, fulfillment of prophecy of Old Testament prophecies. Mark is not recording those. In fact, there's very few quotations from the Old Testament in the book of Mark. Mark has to explain the customs of the Jews. This indicates that it was written to a non-Jewish audience. And there's also some Latin words in the book of Mark, which indicates that it was written to those at Rome. And so we think that it was probably written to the Romans, uh, to the believers in Rome, as they were enduring persecution. Mark focuses especially on the miracles of Jesus. In fact, if you look in the first 11 chapters of the book of Mark, all of them record at least one miracle. But really what Mark is doing is he's recording the miracles and the events of Jesus' life and then transitioning to his Passion Week. And let's go to Mark chapter 1. There's an aspect of Mark that I want to bring out because the book of Mark calls us to follow Jesus but it calls us to follow him in a way that neither the disciples nor many of us today are expecting or desiring. Notice Mark chapter 1 verses 17 and 18 to begin with. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men they immediately left their nets and followed him that was for Peter and Andrew Simon and Andrew he does the same thing for James and uh, John and they immediately leave their nets and follow Jesus as well The gospel begins with an introduction of John the Baptist, Jesus' baptism, Jesus' temptation. Very briefly, his ministry begins, and then he records Jesus calling Peter, James, Peter and Andrew, James and John to follow him. And immediately they leave their nets and they follow him. Do you suppose that was easy for them to leave their nets and follow Jesus? What were they leaving behind? Their lives. Okay, their lives. They were leaving behind their livelihood, weren't they? Their tools of the trade. Okay. So they were leaving behind their livelihood and they were as they left their livelihood behind, how were they going to support their family? Did they know how it was going to happen? No, they didn't know. But they saw something greater than their livelihood, didn't they? What did they see that was greater than their livelihood? The Jesus. And so they left their boat. They left their nets and they followed Jesus. Now it's interesting they had grown up on the sea of Galilee. They had grown up fishing. Does fishing get in your blood? <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> For some it does, right? <laughs> I would say that fishing was in their blood. Not only was it their livelihood, but they loved their job. Now, for most, fishing today is a pastime rather than a livelihood. They were leaving behind. Their pastime. They were leaving behind their livelihood, and as they left that behind, it was because there was something far greater, and that was following Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alpheus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, what did he say? Follow me. Follow me. So he arose and did what? Followed him. Followed him. Now I don't know that Levi Matthew enjoyed collecting taxes as much as Peter and Andrew, James and John enjoyed fishing. It might have been more of a job to Matthew. It brought him the contempt of his countrymen. We know that. But Jesus passes by. He sees Levi Matthew there at his figures, collecting taxes, doing whatever needed to be done. And what does he say? follow me. And he leaves it and he follows Jesus. Now, Levi Matthew was leaving his livelihood behind because he recognized something greater. But Matthew was leaving something else behind. What else was Matthew leaving behind? My guess was, my guess is, that Peter and Andrew, James and John were going to earn a living at their fishing business, but they weren't going to get rich. But for Matthew, he was not just leaving a livelihood behind. He was leaving a very lucrative job behind. He was leaving riches behind. The way taxes worked in the Roman society, there were all sorts of middlemen. And Matthew was the last of the middlemen, so to speak. But the Romans would have a individual that, or a group, probably an individual that, was over a territory and said, you need to bring this much taxes for us. And so he said, okay, I'll get that much taxes and I'll give it to you. And, but they could collect more than that. And so he farmed it out to somebody else. And they might have farmed it out to somebody else. And each layer had a required sum that they were supposed to give to the higher uh, authority, and they could collect as much on top of that as they could get away with, basically. Levi Matthew, his name here in Mark is Levi, which indicates for sure that he was a Jew. He left his... Loyalty to his nation for riches. I'm guessing that Matthew loved riches. But there at the table with all of his money, Jesus says, follow me. And he looks at the money and he looks at Jesus and he realizes that Jesus is far greater than any riches and he leaves the money behind and he follows Jesus. Follow me. Jesus' words to all of his disciples we see later on in Mark, Mark chapter three, verse seven. But Jesus withdrew from his, with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude from Galilee. What does it say? Followed, Followed him and from Judea. We see in chapter 5 in verse 24 so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. The fishermen left their livelihood and they left their love of the sea to follow Jesus. Matthew left his love of riches to follow Jesus. The multitudes followed Jesus. But I want to ask you, did they really know what it meant to follow Jesus? They realized that Jesus had something that they had been looking for. That Jesus was someone that they needed in their life. And they were willing to give up their love of fishing, their love of money. They were willing to give that up to follow Jesus. But I would suggest that they didn't fully know what it meant to follow Jesus yet. And in the gospel of Mark, Jesus is trying to, or Mark is showing that Jesus is trying to show them what it means to follow. Sometimes we follow, but don't realize exactly what that means. You know, I think of my girls, all of them, I think even Hosanna is reading the Laura Ingalls books now. You're reading the Laura Ingalls books? Little House in the Prairie and all that. And you know, they begin in Wisconsin in the Big Woods. And then they go to Oklahoma. And then they go to Minnesota. Then they go to Iowa. Then I think they go back to Minnesota and then they go out to South Dakota. Do you suppose that when she married him that they she realized she was going to be traveling all those places and homesteading in all these sod huts and all these different things? Why did they do that? <laughs> well, uh, he, different reasons. Uh, always the grass was always greener on the other side of the uh, homesteading. In Oklahoma, that was Indian territory, and so they had to leave there. Things didn't go well in Iowa, and uh, I don't remember exactly why and why they left Minnesota to go to South Dakota. Better land, probably out in South Dakota, they thought. Pa- pardon? Cold up there. Yeah. Well, they were. They were may probably worse in South Dakota, okay. <laughs> yeah, because they're uh, they were out on the middle of the plains out there. So, but when you make a decision, you don't always know where it's going to lead you. And when you make a decision to follow Jesus, we don't always know where it's going to lead us. There's an initial surrender that we have to make to Jesus. But there's more. And let's turn to Mark chapter 8. And I believe that Mark 8 is basically the center of the gospel of Mark. Because this is the climax that Mark is building up to, to a certain point. And up until this point, he is proving by stories. Matthew tries to prove that Jesus is the Messiah by uh, exemplifying how he fulfills all the prophecies. Mark isn't doing that. He's writing to a Roman audience. They're not going to be so intrigued with Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. He writes to them about Jesus having power over demons. Jesus having power over disease. Jesus having power over nature. He speaks and the storm is stilled. Jesus having power over death little Jairus' daughter is raised back to life. Jesus having power over to provide, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000. Mark is going through the first eight chapters and he's showing miracle after miracle how Jesus has this authority and this power over everything. And then he brings to the point of where Jesus asks his disciples a question. Mark has been proving through story that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he brings the point home. Verses 27 to 29. Mark 8. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So Jesus first asked the question, who are people saying that I am? That's a fairly easy question to answer. Oh, well, people are saying you're one of the prophets, people are saying this, people are saying that. And then Jesus asks the real question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's the real question, isn't it? Mark has gone through. He has shown how Jesus is the Messiah by his power over nature and death and disease and famine and all of these things. And then the question comes, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples recognized it. They knew it. They had witnessed it. They believed it. Jesus calls us to follow him. And there are things that we have to leave behind to follow him. Might be what we love, our pastimes. It might be destructive habits. It might be friends or family. It might be the unknown of how God is going to provide for us. It might be the promise of riches. It can be any of these things and more. And we follow him. And as we learn of him, and as we learn more and more of him, Jesus comes to us with the question, but who do you say that I am? Say, we've seen, we've experienced. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. But now Jesus is going to explain what it means even more to follow him. Notice verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So he elicits the response, we believe you are the Messiah. And then he says, now I need to tell you what it means that I'm the Messiah. What does it mean? He's going to Suffer, be rejected, be killed, and rise again. And from this point on, Jesus, at least three times it's recorded in the Gospels that he repeats these words, trying to explain what it means. Now, if you're following someone and they tell you, I'm going to suffer, be rejected, and die, what does that mean for you? If you're following them, you're following, aren't you? His lot's going to be your lot, right? And notice what Peter's response is. Peter was the one that spoke up and said, you are The Christ. And so now Peter, Jesus, begins to explain what it means that he is the Messiah. He is not the worldly great Messiah. He is the suffering Messiah. And Peter, verses 32 and 33, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to do what? One of Jesus' disciples rebuking him. Why was he rebuking him? He didn't like the idea of a suffering Messiah. He didn't think Jesus was thinking properly. He didn't think the Messiah should do that. If he's really the Messiah, I mean, He's raised the dead, he's he's fed the multitudes, he's de- why would you need to suffer and die? That didn't fit in their plan. Didn't it fit in their plan or did it fit in their preconceived opinions? A suffering messiah. Peter rebukes him. No! Lord, You're not going to suffer. And notice what Jesus says, verse 33. And when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty strong rebuke, isn't it? In fact, I would say it's the strongest rebuke that Jesus gives. Now, he said to the Pharisees, you whitewashed sepulchres. Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. But saying, get behind me, Satan, that's extremely strong. Peter was presenting the idea that you could follow Jesus without suffering. He was presenting the idea that Jesus didn't have to suffer. It wasn't necessary. And Jesus gives the strongest rebuke possible. Get behind me. Would we ever like to follow Jesus without suffering? (laughs) We would like to echo the same thoughts as Peter, wouldn't we? I'll follow you, Lord, but you're the king. You don't need to suffer and be rejected and all this other stuff you're talking about. I'll follow you in another way. We would like it if once we accepted Jesus and followed Him, everything was a bed of roses, right? That's what we would like. But that is not what Jesus says following Him is about. And I believe that Mark is writing to these Roman Christians because they're going through persecution or they're about ready to. Nero is about ready to unleash these persecutions against them and they're suffering. And Mark is saying, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You can't escape the road of suffering. Now, suffering comes in different forms. In Rome, the suffering came in the form for some of them of being dipped into wax and used as candles to light Nero's garden. That's suffering. For others, it came by getting thrown into the Colosseum to battle the gladiators or the lions. That's suffering. For others, it came from enduring opposition from friends or family. That's still suffering. For others, it came from having to go against the natural desires and habits and inclination and have to go against that for Jesus. We don't face too many physical lions today for Jesus. Not saying we never will, but right now we don't too much. But maybe because we don't too much is why our faith is not as strong as it was then. There is a man pastor, Adventist pastor, young Adventist pastor, when Castro came to power in Cuba. was thrown into prison for being a pastor. And for 20-some years, he went through excruciating torture in the Hard labor prison camps of Cuba. And everywhere he went, transferred to six different prisons, I believe, he raised up a church in that prison. The Lord worked out ways for them to have baptisms even in lagoons. Shot at placed in solitary confinement for weeks in a box that you're just two, by, two feet by three feet or something. In the 80s, I believe it was, he was freed. Came to the United States, began pastoring here. And a friend of mine who's also from Cuba, who knows, knew him, he's passed away, asked him, how's your faith here? He said, it's not as strong as when I was in the prisons in Cuba. He's a pastor. But the suffering strengthened him. Jesus saw that for our walk with him to grow strong, there needs to be some difficulties and challenges. What happens if you don't exercise? You start looking like me. <laughs> you, get weak. you get weak, right? What happens to the astronauts when they come back from the space station? They're exercising in the space station. They're spending time exercising, but they're not fighting against gravity like we are every day. Even if we don't exercise, we still maintain our muscles somewhat, right? But they lose everything. We need resistance. Jesus knew we needed resistance in following him, but too many times we try to get away from the resistance, don't we? We try to take the easier path. And that's what Peter was telling Jesus. You don't have to do that. There's a better path. There's an easier path. You don't have to follow this way. And that's the exact same thing that Satan said when he took Jesus up and said, you see all the kingdoms of this world? I'll give them to you. Just worship me. You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to go through the suffering and the humiliation, the difficulty, the hardship. I'll offer you an easier way. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus knew the easy way is the wrong way. But too many times when we have a choice in following Jesus. Not that we suffer just to suffer, but when we have a choice in following Jesus, we'd rather go the easier way than the way that Jesus bids us because we want to avoid difficulty. And Jesus, when Peter tried to offer this alternative, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The easier way is not God's way. Verse 34. And we had, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him, what does it say? Deny himself. Deny himself what else? Take up his cross and do what? Follow me. Jesus is teaching now what it means to follow him. Yes, you left your fishing boat. Yes, Matthew, you left your riches there. But there's more to it. Because Jesus is the suffering Messiah and Jesus says, follow me, but you have to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Say no? Say no to who? Yourself. That's the hardest person we have a time saying no to, isn't it? <laughs> say no to yourself. What is it about ourself we have to say no to? Human nature. Human nature. We want to be in control, don't we? We feel very vulnerable if we're not in control. Yeah. <laughs> very we like, we, it's, it's our safety net, and it's not necessarily wrong, but yet we have to surrender the control of our lives to Jesus, don't we? Deny ourselves. Are there ever things that you wanted to do, but you knew God was calling you to do something different? I was talking with somebody this week, and they were telling me, you know, it's not a big thing. It's just this this little thing. It's all right. It's just... Uh, I just feel kind of guilty. It sounds to me like God's convicting you not to do that, isn't he? And he wants to give you the power not to do it, right? And so you become a new person right now by choosing his power. Denying ourselves. I remember when I was first studying adventism and i remember we would have bible studies uh, on friday night and i knew friday night was the sabbath but yet i was in i don't know 13 14 somewhere in there 13 i think and uh, there were lots of other things i wanted to do on friday night other than being a bible study And I remember one time sitting there as in, I was in Boy Scouts, and I think it was was Boy Scouts, maybe it was some other event. And, but I was, and the, our friends were coming over for the Bible study. I normally joined in, but tonight I was sitting in a different room waiting to get picked up by a friend. Said, I don't care. I want to do something different here. That's, the natural human nature, isn't it? Now, it's different for each of us of what issues we might deal with, but it's the same battle and it's the same struggle, isn't it? Human nature says, I don't care, I want to do this. And Jesus says, follow me. I don't know what we, each one, might be having different struggles or battles in our lives, but I know because we're humans living in a sinful world that we're each struggling with something that the devil's pulling us one way and Jesus is calling us another. We may have left the boats behind. We may have left the money behind. We might have left whatever else behind but there's probably another area in our life that Jesus is speaking to us and saying, you need to not try to avoid the way of suffering to follow me. Deny yourself. And then he says, what next does he say? Deny yourself and do what else? Take up his cross. Now, I tend to think that when Jesus said that, it went totally over the heads of the disciples. Because what was the cross to them? Death. Death. It was crucifixion. It was public. It was the death penalty, public death penalty. We, in our Christian mindset, think of the cross as a... Symbol we put on churches and a Christian symbol. And it's become that way. But when Jesus said that, that's not what it was, was it? It was a like 75 pound rough hewn crossbeam. That was thrown upon your back with splinters going everywhere. This heavy weight that you had to carry, knowing that they were going to nail your hands into that very crossbeam that you were carrying. You were carrying your own death sentence. And Jesus says, Deny yourself and keep doing it. Carry your cross. Now the criminals as they were, Jesus of course wasn't a criminal and the Christians weren't, but the others as they're carrying their cross, did they have the choice of throwing that heavy weight aside and saying, I'm through with this, I'm going somewhere else. the lash would have been on their back very heavily and they would have been picking it back up again. But we have the choice. And Jesus says you have to keep denying yourself. And then he says, follow me. It's not just leaving boats. It's not just leaving a money table. It's denying the very core of our being that is rebelling against Jesus' way and continuing to surrender it to Jesus. Whatever habit, whatever thought practice, what a thought, whatever practice, surrender of our way to His way, And the rest of the book of Mark reveals a suffering Messiah. Before this, we see a miracle-working, powerful Messiah. But after this, we see the rejection, the lash, the crown of thorns, And the cross. Jesus says, You have to follow me, not just when you see the miracles, but follow me in the suffering as well. Now, that being said, Peter makes it clear. He says, There's suffering in the world too. Jesus helps us bear the cross. It's better to be with Jesus and have the peace that He gives, having Him help us bear the cross than to suffer in the world alone. But it still requires that we follow Him in a path of self-denial. And then Jesus asks the pertinent words in verse 36. And what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What value is it? And he's going to demonstrate that in the next chapter or so when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, follow me. And he goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He's going to demonstrate the tragedy of choosing the world and losing your own soul. Jesus says, Following me, there's denial, self denial, there's a continual struggle. But in the long run, what's the value of anything else? Nothing. And Mark, as he writes this biography of Jesus, he knew what he was writing about. Because John Mark had seen Jesus. John Mark probably lived in the home that was where the upper room was, where Jesus had the Last Supper, where the disciples gathered after Jesus' death and resurrection. John Mark's home was the meeting place in Jerusalem. We know that because that's where Peter went when the angel set him free from prison. But there's also something else about John Mark. If there's a large upper room that's in his home, he probably lived a life of privilege. He wasn't trying to catch a few fish to eat. They had a large upper room. They had a commodious house. But Mark chooses ministry. And as he begins ministry with Uncle Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. We don't know the exact reason, but Mark flees back home. The hardships were too much. The suffering that he encountered, it was more than what he was anticipating or expecting, and he leaves and he goes home. Mark abandoned the cross. But then he realized, what profit does it gain a man? He loses, gains the whole world, and loses his own soul. And he picks up the cross again and he becomes a worker. And Paul, in his last epistle in 2 Timothy chapter 4, says, send Mark to me because he's profitable for the ministry. Mark had gone from shunning the sufferings and difficulties in the path of the Christian to embracing them and being a fellow sufferer With Jesus. And in the gospel of Mark. Mark records. Not his experience. But the experience of Jesus. The all powerful Messiah. That calls us. To follow him. To follow him. In self-denial. And in every aspect of our lives. I want to follow him. Take up my cross. Follow Jesus. Is that what you want to do? Follow Him, even if it leads us to self denial and suffering for Him. It's worth it to follow Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus has gone before us, that He has given us an example endured suffering, rejection, and even death. But we also know that he was raised again, and as we follow you, through whatever suffering or difficulties we face, that you have the promise of the blessed uh, resurrection and the promise of your coming at the end as well. And so we pray that we may take up our cross, follow you, that we will not, lose our own soul. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.